Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Thibaut. And I'm Ara. Every week, we interview thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. During 30 to 45 minutes, we will deep dive into topics like modern prospection, pipeline management tactics, or innovative sales tools to help you navigate the complex world of B2B sales. We're on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever, yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to know more about our sales training and coaching programs, go to www.saleslabs.io. I repeat, www.saleslabs.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. So, welcome everyone uh, to this uh, Sales Lab virtual tour. So, it's the first Ask Me Anything with uh, Megan Bowen. So, Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. I'm excited to answer some questions and to chat with some people. So, looking forward yeah. to, to the session today. Exactly. That's going to be, that's actually the first time we're doing the, this format with the uh, Ask Me Anything I mean, on my end. I know you're very used to that. So that's why I thought also it would be a good thing. Yeah. And also you have like, uh, I've watched a bunch of your videos, listened to a bunch of your podcasts, and you have like really interesting uh, thoughts. You're also working with, uh, with Chris at Refine Labs. And so uh, I think you are into a very kind of hot space with really nice ideas. So I wanted to make sure the audience was uh, able to kind of directly access uh, and, talk to, and talk with you. But before we, we, we jump in, can you maybe uh, tell us more about yourself? Who, who are you? And uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, well, I grew up in Southern California, but I moved to New York when I was 19. I've been here ever since. Um, and I've spent the last 15 years of my career working in B2B SaaS companies um, based in New York City. Um, have really had a great time growing up in the New York startup scene. Um, I started my career as an account manager at an education technology company. And really that's where I uh, learned everything about account management and customer success. Um, everything from implementation to onboarding, retention, renewal, upsell, and really fell in love with that discipline and that function. After that company, I went to a small startup called ZocDoc um, and ultimately built out their post-sale team. Um, it was early days there, and that was my first experience building a team, and I loved it. And from there, I went to Grubhub Seamless, um, online food delivery tool, working for their B2B division, not their consumer division, um, and similarly built out their account management function. After that, I went to a company called Managed by Q. Um, started as the head of account management, but um, eventually became the chief operating officer at Managed by Q, took over uh, sales, marketing, account management, and operations. Um, that was my first opportunity to really run all go-to-market teams um, uh, as a COO. We exited to WeWork, um, which was exciting until it wasn't, <laughs> and a little bit of drama there, but it was, it was, an, it was a great exit. And, uh, you know, those, some of those things were out of our control and a great experience to be a part of. Yeah. And after that, I got back into the food space, went to Platters, another B2B food company. Um, that said, once the coronavirus happened, uh, that business was severely impacted as people are no longer yeah. in offices and ordering lunch. Um, so ultimately uh, moved on from there and most recently joined Chris Walker at Refine Labs um, as the chief customer officer, COO as well. I uh, manage internal company operations, our customer experience and customer success. 
um, and uh, partnering with Chris to grow the business. So I've uh, just celebrated my three month anniversary and it's been amazing so far. Really excited um, to continue doing uh, good work there. Yeah. That's, that's crazy because I, I had the impression you were there for years. With I mean, the thing is, uh, I think Refine Labs is what, one year and a half or old or it's, it's pretty... Yep. Not but, quite. Yeah, about a year and a half, yeah, 18 months. It, but you're just like rushing it so much that I'm like, okay, this is a huge agency and they've been there forever. And Megan, is just, I've been there like rushing it forever. And I'm like, no, just three months. I was like, yeah, that's pretty fast. <laughs> For <laughs> that, crazy. things are going really well. Yeah, the, we're, our business is growing fast. We're working with some really amazing companies. And so we're, we're very optimistic about the future yeah that's that's great and you're doing something really different so i think it's uh it, it's really nice and so zocdoc you, you so you know justin welch right you've been working with him i yes i worked with uh justin and i worked at zocdoc at the same time also very uh friendly with his wife jen who also worked mm-hmm. at zocdoc um we're still good friends and keep in touch um, and, uh, actually I have Justin to thank a little bit. I, I think he had mentioned to Chris too, that we had worked together and ultimately, mm-hmm. uh, Chris and I ended up connecting on LinkedIn a while ago. And that's how we first got connected and ultimately worked into joining forces, uh, at Refine Labs. Um, that's, that's crazy. I mean, it's yeah. such a small world actually. It's, uh, it is. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, Justin is really, I, I, I invited him on the, on the show once and, uh, was also super insightful. So yeah, really like following, following what he's doing. Yes, he's he's amazing, and he started his own consulting business that's going really, really well. Yeah, um, yeah wonderful, wonderful person, and a great business owner. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. So let's jump in the questions. Um, so you know, to everyone, basically, you can go and drop your questions in the comments, either on YouTube or on Zoom. Uh, really like questions. We can talk about a ton of things, but we have like uh, dimension, lead generation, sales, customer success. Uh, revenue, pretty much everything around revenue to drop your questions. We have a few already there. I'm going to start with the first one, which is what is the difference between demand gen and lead gen? That's a good question. Um, So we, you know, there is a pretty big difference actually. And so the way I like to um, define uh, lead gen versus demand gen, when you take lead gen, essentially what you're doing is um, typically you're using various performance marketing campaigns to collect contact information. Um, And so whether you are uh, putting a a gated ebook on LinkedIn and people need to, you know, give you their email address in order for them to get the ebook, that is considered, in my opinion, um, a lead gen campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes, uh, those email addresses will be sent over to an SDR team and they'll be put into some type of, you know, cold calling or email sequence um, to attempt to convert that person to a meeting. Um, More often than not, when you're just collecting people's contact information, sure, you can consider it a lead, but often they're not necessarily ready to buy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so lead gen efforts typically can result in a lot of email addresses, but usually not in a lot of revenue. Okay. So when you look at demand gen, the definition of demand is to create uh, buying intent in a person that, that wants to buy your product or service, whatever it is. So um, what, I, what I think the key difference is, is you running a, a for example, um, a campaign on Facebook to educate and provide awareness of your product and service to a potential buyer. And then they actually come inbound to your website and they fill out a, a form asking mm-hmm. for a demo. 
That's okay. demand gen because you have a buyer coming to your website. They have high buying intent. They're raising their hand. They want to talk to a salesperson to learn more, to decide if they're actually going to proceed with buying your product. So like the, I think the key difference is lead gen is like collecting contact information mm -hmm. and demand gen is actually creating buying intent in your target okay. buyer. That's okay. the key difference in my view. Okay. That's really interesting. I, I never thought it this way because um, one thing like for me is often I find like I'm doing a lot of uh, lead gen and trying to go to demand gen. Now I know that's the best thing to do, mm -hmm. but um like often we are afraid, you know, of putting all our content out there and not being able to attribute that first to our efforts. That's one thing in, in marketing that is very common, yeah, attribution. And uh, often we just like, you know, like what's my guarantee that if I put this content out there, I'm going to get some some intent coming back. And often we can have our feel more reassured collecting leads because we can see some uh, some result coming out of it. Um, you know, we, we can count the leads we do whenever Dimension is harder. So how, how do you, like, what would be your tip on uh, how to switch to Dimension without uh, you know, being too afraid? Absolutely. So I completely empathize with the fear around that. But I think the important thing to remember is what metric actually matters. And, and for most businesses, that's revenue. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people get caught up in the attribution trap and feel like they need to attribute every single dollar that comes into the company um, to some particular effort. And the reality is, is if you're doing demand marketing and brand marketing effectively, you're creating awareness and buying intent in the market. And you might not ever know exactly what the thing was that made that person come to you and say, I'm interested in buying your product. But if you're able to effectively grow revenue and continue to generate an inbound stream of high intent buyers, you're ultimately creating the business outcomes that you want. So I think sometimes people can get caught up in measuring things that don't really matter mm -hmm. and don't translate to business results. Um, the challenge is um, a lot of performance marketing or lead gen efforts do create a short-term return, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can do something and get a bunch of email addresses and then contact all those people, right? Yeah. When you think about demand gen, it's certainly a little bit more of a long, a long game. It's a longer play. You really need to invest in, um, you know, superior content marketing to help build your brand and drive that awareness and education. You need to make sure that you're meeting your buyers where they are so that they're consuming that information and seeing that information. And then you need to make it really easy for them to find you when they're ready to buy um, and make that sales process um, buyer-centric and seamless so they're excited to move forward and work mm -hmm. with you. So I, I think that, um, you know, the sooner that you make the uh, mindset shift, um, that it's less about measuring exactly where that lead came from and more about um, focusing on the activities that are going to drive revenue and happy long-term customers, you will see those benefits, but it will take a little bit of time. And so mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it's, I guess, sort of in, to summarize, I think um, not getting caught up in um, attribution or metrics that don't really matter is key. Focusing on the long game and educating and providing awareness to drive that um, inbound demand mm -hmm. is really the key to long-term success. And the sooner that you're able to make that shift and, and um, change your activities 
um, to focus more on demand versus uh, leads, um, the, the sooner that you're going to see the positive results within your business. Okay. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Actually, it's, uh, yeah, it's often, you know, it's, it's the, this thing where you say, okay, I want an Im- immediate result short term, and then you have to actually just see the long game. And uh, often it's crazy because in B2B, like people, are, in most companies, you see the, the, what they do, like the eBooks, the sponsored eBooks they put on LinkedIn or whatever. And then you're like, what is that? They, they, like, what are they doing? It's really hard to mm-hmm. understand. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. Um, so we have other question. We have one here. Um, having experience from entry level to executive customer facing positions across organizations of various sizes for a startup where the same few people are handling all customer facing duties early on, what would be the key indicators or benchmarks they should watch for that tell, for that to tell, I guess, them it's time to start splitting into dedicated customer facing roles slash divisions? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I'm assuming they're, they're thinking through some of the distinctions between, for example, like a customer support function mm-hmm. versus a customer success function and or an account management function. And so, yes, I think um, my time at ZocDoc, I think, was um, really interesting because I joined at a period where we just had a really large customer support team and they did everything. Um, they handled all of the reactive work with, you know, people emailing and calling and chatting in. Um, they also handed, uh, handled a lot of proactive work, um, you know, for, you know, new doctors that were on the site and reaching out to make sure that profiles were updated and appointment times were populated and um, all of those things. And it just became a catch-all team. Mm-hmm. And we would just hire and hire and hire more and more support people and, everyone was doing all of the work. And it got to a point when the business started to scale to a certain size that no longer became effective and efficient. Mm -hmm. And so um, I will say that, you know, in an early stage startup, that's often the case. And and often that's fine up until a Mm -hmm. certain point. What I would say is when you begin to see either Um, significant increase in the ability to resolve your inbound issues. When you start to see an increase in um, churn from your customers, when you start to see a degradation of the customer experience, because um, there's too much volume and things aren't being handled as well as they could be, um, that's when you need to start to assess when to make that change. Additionally, um, when you have a person that's responsible for both proactive and reactive work, that's very stressful for an internal team member to do Mm -hmm. those things well. So that's another indicator when you're seeing your internal team struggling to stay on top of everything um, because there isn't focus and, you know, sort of differentiated roles to support Mm -hmm. that focus. Um, So those are some signals to look out for. And, And ultimately the way I typically like to structure teams in later stage organizations is to separate the reactive and the proactive work. So you have a dedicated customer support team that's responsible for all reactive work, email, phone, and chat. Um, And they're optimized for being able to handle those reactive uh, tasks Mm -hmm. within an appropriate amount of time, whatever your SLAs are. And then you have a separate team, which is typically a customer success team or an account management team. And they're focused on all of the proactive activities Mm -hmm. um, to ensure customers are onboarded properly, um, that they get the um, support that they need for ongoing retention and upsell and renewal. Um, 
And so I think that that typically is how I, um, my experience and how I like to structure customer facing teams um, through that reactive versus proactive lens. Mm. That's really nice. I really like that also because it's uh, often, you know, it's, I've seen many, many founders, they go, they raise a bunch of money and then they're like, okay, we're going to put role specialization like crazy. And then they hire way too many people and there's nothing happening. And then there's yes. just the worse. And, and basically you have the other way where you just make it happen. Then it breaks and it's kind of like, oh, you have first signs of it breaking. And then it signs, it's, it's like time to change, to have this role specialization. So I think it's, uh, I always take, like, I prefer doing this approach where you do things until it breaks it's it's not really it's it's a bit stressful but it's uh it, yeah that's that's also a good thing i really like your glass is it like hulk or oh. <laughs> yes it is okay um, that's amazing <laughs> my husband works for marvel so we're a okay. marvel household <laughs> <laughs> great yeah. so we have a question here from abby uh, who says, thanks, thanks, Abby, for, uh, for your question. So I work at a SaaS company in the life sciences industry. How do we convince our marketing team to post content on LinkedIn that is actually educational and creates demand? Good question. It's a, yeah, it's a great question. So, um, you know, I think there's a couple of ways I would go about it. I think one is making sure that your marketing team is um, aware and understands the current opportunity that exists on LinkedIn. Right now, um, LinkedIn is in the top 20 most visited sites in the world. There are 750 million users on the platform. Less than 4 million of those users post content once a week. Um, and it's actually completely free to post content organically to LinkedIn through your personal or your company page. Um, so the, um, the opportunity to spread your message and to position, you know, your company or, um, you know, an ambassador of your company um, as a thought leader in whatever space you're in, life sciences or otherwise, um, it's just a tremendous opportunity to take advantage of. I would say the next 12 to 36 months is probably um, the most opportune time to, you know, the, the, the best time to get started on LinkedIn was yesterday, <laughs> but the, the next best time is today. Um, and, um, you know, at some point it might not be free anymore to post content. Right. So I think number one is break down those numbers for them and show them the type of organic reach that they'll be able to achieve if they dedicate time to this particular channel. And then I think the next thing is, um, you know, oftentimes people like to see that something is working before they're willing to dedicate more time and resources to it. And so, if you're at a particular company, you know, maybe begin posting yourself and posting information that you know about and that you know your customers want to know about and, um, you know, begin to build your brand to drive awareness and engagement and then show them what you're doing and what that's um, creating. Um, I think that those are two ways to um, uh, open their eyes to the possibility um, and also, you know, if there's other content that they've created, show them how they can leverage, you know, the efforts that they've already made and repurpose that content, um, you know, through LinkedIn posts. Um, so I, those are some initial suggestions to get started that hopefully, yeah. hopefully will do the trick for you. Yeah. For me, I, I, I really like the, this, um, I mean, the um, one thing I suggest often is whenever you, let's say you have like a, an ebook you're, that you, you know, you, you, you asked to kind of put there so people download it, what you can do is summarize the ebook, 
or what I found is like, uh, you're going to get in trouble with the marketing team. Maybe you should do that. But what you do, you download the ebook yourself, then you summarize it and you put a post about that and you say, if you want the ebook, let me know. I'll send it to you directly by direct message. Yeah. So when you do that, you kind of bypass the, the lead magnet stuff. You're going to get maybe in trouble, but if, if your company is rather small, uh, maybe that can work and you're going to get the lead coming to you. And if there's a discovery or a meeting that, that's there, it's going to be yours. So that can be something you can try. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, it's all about providing valuable information without necessarily asking for anything in return as well. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, at Refine Labs, we do no outbound selling. 100% of our customers come to us because they've heard about us. They know about Chris, about me. They've heard the podcast. They see posts on LinkedIn and they're interested in finding out if we can help. And when we speak with them, we're not trying to convince them to work with us. We're trying to find out if they would, if they would be a good fit for us to be partners and work mm-hmm. together to help them grow their business. And so it requires a shift in mindset. When you think about how can I give value on this platform um, so that people view me as an expert in my space, um, when they need help, they will come to you. Um, it really it really works. Um, people are skeptical and it can take a little bit of time. Um, but like with most, you know, real sustainable business growth, um, that takes time and, and dedicating yourself to doing it the right way, um, is, uh, is how I, I would recommend going about it. Okay. You said something about podcast, which is good. We had a question about that, which is, should I start a podcast? What's the ROI? Yeah, so um, uh, I'm a big believer in um, in podcasts, especially right now, um, especially with the pandemic and there's no real end in sight. Um, it's a really um, amazing channel to spread your message. Um, and additionally, if you invest in creating a video podcast, you're creating a repository of really rich content that you can then repurpose elsewhere. So for example, like our strategy at Refine Labs, we have, you know, Chris has um, his podcast, The State of Demand Gen. Every Tuesday night, we host a live AMA session called Demand Gen Live, um, where we have, you know, 50, 60 people show up every week. If they ask questions, me and Chris answer them. We record that whole uh, uh, AMA, and that is an episode on the podcast. And then that's how we will um, take short clips from that episode. And then we will post those short clips on LinkedIn. Um, And then we will uh, link to the podcast episode within the comments of our LinkedIn post, right? And so it's a, the podcast becomes a way to create rich content on a regular basis. And then that can fuel your content strategy through LinkedIn as well. also, it's how you can, you know, clarify your message and get your message out there. You're talking about the things that you're an expert on, the things that you do, the things that your company does. Um, it's a form of brand and demand marketing in and of itself. Um, the key is the content needs to be um, high quality. You need to figure out how you can distribute that content to the right people. LinkedIn is a great way to do it as long as you've invested in making connections with the people that matter to you and your company, mm-hmm. potential customers, prospective partners, investors, whomever it may be. 
Um, but once you've laid that foundation, um, it's a really, um, really strong content channel right now. And people, um, people love listening to podcasts and watching videos. Um, it's a way people like to consume content that way today. Um, so you're meeting your buyer where they want to be and yeah. giving them content in a way that they want to consume it um, versus a long form case study or blog yeah. post. Those can still be good to be, to be clear. Those are still mm -hmm. good um, pillars of a content strategy. Um, but by far right now, um, podcasts are hot. Lots of people are creating them, but it's not saturated by any means. And if you make the commitment to creating high quality uh, podcast episodes, um, I think the ROI is really strong. We yeah. get new customers that come to us that say, I heard your, I heard you on this podcast and you said something that really resonated with me. And I think that maybe we should work together. Um, so it's hard to get very specific about the exact ROI, but it absolutely will build your brand, your company brand. It will influence new customer acquisition. Um, and it will also help your existing customers and help retain and grow your existing customer base. So um, there are no downsides in my opinion. That said, it is a it is a commitment of time and effort yeah. um, because it's not easy to get a, a really high quality podcast uh, stood up. It's it's a it's a it's a big thing for me. I have uh, we've done we started our podcast on uh, beginning of the year with thirty eight episodes. Strong commitment, but uh, something really important you said is like um, one tip I would give of people like first like the results are. You know, as, as you said, you have people coming to you and often what, what's great is like you post your content, your videos, your voice, and everything, and people build relationship with you without you being aware of that. And then they come yeah. to you and they're like, oh, so nice to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. And they feel like they know you. So it's yes. very easy then to, to kind of like have a conversation. And um, but another, a thing that is really important, as you said, I think it's is to recycle content. A podcast should not be a, you can do something uh, audio only. But as you said, maybe you do a recording, you do a live like we're doing, then a YouTube video, then you take like extract and then you recycle that into an audio. And you exactly. can even use a thing called Descript, which is like, um, it's a free app and then, you know, you, there's freemium, but that will take your podcast and translate, uh, transcript it basically. And it, it works really well actually in English. And then you can do like your long form kind of a blog post. But mm -hmm. that's something I, I didn't understand at the beginning. I was doing my podcast shooting some videos for LinkedIn and then like doing some other events. And then I was like, oh, maybe I could do everything at once and kind yes. of multiply and reduce the work. And so I think it's a really great strategy, as you said, maybe in demand gen, because you can't really attribute too much, but you really create a lot of a uh, brand awareness with that. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm, uh, I'm launching my own uh, podcast actually on Monday, the 9th, uh, the unwritten playbook, which I'm really excited about. And it's, um, it, like even just what we're doing right now, it's really fun. It's enjoyable. You get to meet really great people. Um, so it's a wonderful, like creative outlet as well. Um, so it, it is, it is a lot of work, but it is a lot of fun. It's very rewarding. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so we have other questions here. Let me check. Uh, is there a question you, you actually want to, you're burning to answer on the, on, on the things here? I think we can get to all of them. There weren't too yeah. many that were submitted. I don't know if you're getting a lot more submitted live, but let's keep cranking through them. Yeah. Let's, let's try to get to all of them. Okay. <laughs> so what are best practices around Facebook ads for business? Yeah, great question. So 
Um, Facebook is a, um, you know, key part of our strategy at Refine Labs for demand generation. Um, it's interesting because a lot of B2B companies that we speak with, um, many times the initial reaction is, oh, we don't do anything on Facebook. That's a personal, you know, that's a personal network. Um, it's not really for business, right? There, people are skeptical. Like, why would we do that? Is that going to really drive the business results that we want? Um, that said, given our unique approach to how we use paid social, we believe it is a extremely powerful channel for B2B companies. And we use it in a very different way. Most B2B companies that run Facebook advertising will typically put up some type of either creative product ad or a short form piece of content. And the call to action is um, buy now, request a demo, contact sales. And the reality is, is when people are consuming information on Facebook, um, they're not usually in buy mode. They're in information gathering mode. They're just looking for information. And so we use social and we use it for education and for awareness, not for direct conversion. And so we will similarly use either creative product ads or other short form content, um, but our calls to action are always learn more. And the learn more takes them back to a blog post, a case study, a product page on your website, a solutions page on your website. Um, we're not asking for their contact information. We're not forcing them to fill out a form. We're simply meeting them where they're at and allowing them to learn about the, the, the product or the service. Um, through our Facebook advertising, we see all of our clients will see an increase in inbound organic traffic to their website and an increase in inbound demo requests. The other couple things to keep in mind is a lot of people don't like to use Facebook because it's um, difficult natively in the platform to target the right people. There's a great um, company and tool that we use. Um, it's Metadata IO. They have a, a, a feature within their product called MetaMatch, which allows us to create like LinkedIn caliber audiences on Facebook. Um, so it allows us to have high confidence in our targeting that the content that we're putting out is um, actually getting in front of the people that you want it to get in front of. And Facebook advertising costs a tenth, you know, it's like a tenth of the cost of LinkedIn. It's, it's much more economical. Um, LinkedIn advertising can be quite expensive and people like to advertise on LinkedIn because they feel that they feel confidence that they're getting their content in front of their buyer. But if you use that tool and that um, approach on uh, social, on Facebook, um, you can get to your right buyer, you can educate and inform them. And then when they're ready to buy, they'll come to you and raise their hand. Mm -hmm. So that's how we think about uh, Facebook and that's how we execute against that strategy. That's really cool. I dropped uh, the, the link to the, the website. Do you have any kind of uh, education content you could share uh, about, about that so we can you know, drive some leads to your, some demand, let's say, to your website? Yeah, I mean, we have, if you go to our State of Demand Gen podcast, we have a whole episode um, on running Facebook ads and Chris Walker breaks down what I just described in um, an insane amount of detail of like how to actually use the ad platform. So check out the State of Demand Gen podcast and look for the Facebook um, episode um, and okay. you can get like basically the whole playbook of what we do. 
Perfect. I'm gonna, that's gonna, that's what I'm going to listen next. <laughs> this is amazing because often, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, people say, oh, Facebook, people are not on Facebook, you know, like buyers are not on Facebook. They actually, as you said, they are. Yep, you know, it's everyone's like, on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you know, it's, they are. So, and this thing with metadata is really nice because all the audiences are really tough to, to, to nail on Facebook. And uh, I think it's, it's pretty cool. So I shared everything, go check the podcast. Uh, we have a question here. So pointers for creating an elevator pitch for cold calls that grab your prospects attention enough to get them engaged. Yeah. Cold calling. So, um, I would say a couple of things here. I think that, um, you know, because we have a strong perspective, um, around, you know, demand and brand marketing, um, if you do that right, you really um, are able to minimize the amount of cold calling that you need to do if you're able to, to build that organic inbound demand in the market. Um, so, so that's usually always our recommended approach. That said, um, you know, I understand that a lot of sales teams um, are cold calling and are not necessarily going to stop cold calling. Um, and so I think um, actually the person, um, I don't know if you know of Justin Michael, um, he is like yeah. the cold calling king, in my opinion. Um, check out his content on LinkedIn. Um, and he has a ton of different communities that he's a part of as well. But his big, um, his sort of biggest cold calling tips are always around, um, you know, not being afraid to call high level decision makers, um, C-suite or VP level, um, jumping right in and, and um adding compelling value or um, identifying a, a critical pain point that they have, sharing social proof that you can solve that pain point, um, and uh, finding out when you can speak to them again. And so I think, you know, knowing that you have very short time, it's not, it's not really about crafting your elevator pitch. It's about identifying who you want to call, doing your research to understand what matters to them, and framing the conversation around validating that they have a particular pain point um, and having a compelling few sentences of why you can help them solve that pain point. So I think don't spend time crafting the perfect elevator pitch, spend time researching your prospect or your buyer and, and find out how you can communicate your message to them in a way that matters to them. Um, so I hope, hope that's helpful. That's pretty, for me, that's really helpful. The thing is, whenever you're, I think, I can't really talk about marketing, but in sales, called outreach, it's about um, making people realize that you understand their business problem. And often it's like, uh, or what, what they're going through. And talking about problems is much better than talking about what you're doing or, or you know, because often people are just gonna, gonna you know, like they're gonna discard you for, for the fact of pitching. Even if your mm -hmm. pitch is great, but if you talk about a problem they have and you tease their interest about how you can potentially solve it, they're going to answer and be way more receptive. So I think that's uh, that's often about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I am mostly focused on generating, generating outbound leads. Do you have any quick tip on how to start an inbound campaign? So inbound for outbound dummies, we could say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Um... Yeah, I think there's a few ways to drive inbound. So obviously you can do it through paid media. We talked a little bit about Facebook 
already. And so whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram, any paid social platform, taking the approach that I was describing of educating and informing with a call to action to learn more is the right way to go about it. Um, Facebook is, is way more inexpensive. So if you're just starting out, using that platform first is a good way to get, get your feet wet and give it a try without spending you know, too much money, investing too much. Um, if you want to leverage paid search, um, like Google ads, the way that we think about that is, so we, I like to say that at any given point in time, only 1% of your market is actually ready to buy your product or service today. The other 99% of your target market, um, they, you know, may or may not be ready to buy in the future. Um, but that 1% that is ready to buy and looking for a solution like yours often are going to go to Google and they're going to type in a search term, um, you know, whatever it is related to your product or service. And very often we'll add something like pricing or, demo or platform or some other qualifier that really indicates that they, that they have high intent. And so you can spend a lot of money on Google and not get a lot of good leads that come through. So our approach with Google is focusing on high intent, long tail keywords that um, are capturing that 1% of people that are looking to buy your product right now. So if you're thinking about paid campaigns to drive inbound, that's how we think about Google. It's how we think about social. Um, and you know, focusing uh, on those strategies will drive inbound uh, leads to you. Mm -hmm. um, and then additionally, what we were speaking about before, um, investing your time in posting on LinkedIn or starting a podcast, um, by getting your content and your message out to the market, that's how people become aware of you. And that's how people will come to you when they're interested to learn more or ready to buy. Okay. That's, that's really cool because I, I, I've tried personally uh, Google ads uh, without success. Uh, you know, it, it was a while ago, but I was like going on stuff like sales training, sales coaching, which is like, yeah, <laughs> forget Spend it. Spend a lot of money for yeah. not a lot of return. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but everyone will go to Sandler, Challenger and John Barrows and everything before, you know, landing on my page in page 49 or whatever. So it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so, so, I had a question about it, but I completely forgot about it. No, no worries. I, I, I'll get it after. Um, we have we have other question here. So, do you have suggestions to ask a customer for a case study? Yeah, good question. So, um, typically, um, I like to make sure that whenever you're going to engage a customer and ask them either for a case study or a testimonial or a review, um, that that customer should be a very happy customer. And so um, the prerequisite is always make sure that you're um, focusing on delivering a great customer experience, um, not only through your marketing and your sales process, um, but even more importantly, your onboarding process and how they'll continue to engage with your company um, from there on out. Once you know that you have delivered value to their customer, um, that they're receiving you know, the business outcomes that they were hoping to receive by working with you, um, directly asking for a case study or a review is absolutely uh, fine. And most often if they're receiving value, most customers will be happy to do it. Um, so I think the, the, the difficult part is if people have trouble with it, I think sometimes they ask too soon or they ask the wrong customers. And if the customer isn't happy or receiving value, they're not, gonna, they're not going to agree to that. Um, another, a couple of other tactics that I've used in the past that work really well 
Um, often companies will do periodic customer surveys. Um, they'll, they'll ask like, you know, send out a survey of questions to get customer feedback or kind of measure customer satisfaction or sentiment. Um, I always like to include a question um, about whether they would be willing to be a reference or write a testimonial or you know, participate in a case study. Um, when you add that question, you'll actually get a lot of people that will raise their hand and that gives you a pool of customers to reach out to when you need something like that. Okay. And then lastly, I think um, for any great customers that you have, if you're able to engage your CEO or other C-level executives um, and arrange a meeting with them and the, the customer, um, often having that ask come from a senior member of the team makes a customer feel very um, important and valued and they're more likely to say yes. And one last thing I'll say is um, I, I am a big fan of customer advisory boards, of getting a group of customers together, um, even providing some type of incentive or compensation for their time, um, but where they can you know, meet with you quarterly to provide product feedback, um, market feedback, answer questions, and often um, the people that are part of your advisory team um, are happy to be part of a case study or testimonial. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think like the, the uh, NPS, like having a net promoter score where you say on a scale from uh, one to 10, at like a lot of, uh, lot of different, different things. For, for me, for example, I have an accelerator program. And now I ask at the end of each module, like uh, the same question, one to 10, you know, like a rank, uh, mm -hmm. what's missing to get to 10 and uh, and it's always like yeah on a scale of 1 to 10 how likely would you be to uh, recommend the, the post and often people who are at 9, 10 and you can go engage they, they are really happy they give you really good uh, testimonial feedback then they, they give you nice intros and then the other one also gives you like uh, very good kind of things about what you need to improve and so I think it's um, always like having this NPS for customers is uh, is great to kind of like get some uh, some good feedback on what to do yeah Definitely. Yeah. And now I remember the question I had, which is I'm going to, I'm going to use my uh, host privilege to uh, bypass all the questions and ask a question <laughs> for me. Um, so on LinkedIn, you know, I'm posting regularly. I'm pretty happy with the awareness I'm able to, to produce. Um, and often people, they, they come to me and they're like, oh, Thibaut, you're crushing it on LinkedIn, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, that's amazing. And then they believe I'm, I'm, a, I'm like living on a yacht and I have millions and everything. But the <laughs> truth is, it's not like that. You know, it's not as easy to monetize that. So do you have a tip for when you're good at, at bringing awareness, but not so good at making, turning it into money? Like what, what would be a, a, good, a good tip or a good like strategy there? Yeah, so I think, the important thing about leveraging the LinkedIn platform to ultimately drive new business to your company, I think it involves a couple of important factors. So one, the content needs to be very consistently focused on what your business is offering. And so, um, you know, making sure that you are um, being really consistent in uh, developing new and interesting content that's related to that topic. Um, using uh, that content to show your expertise, to demonstrate value, to give away information for free is critical. So that's the first uh, piece. The second is you need to make sure that the people that are most likely to buy your product or service are consuming the content. And so um, you have to invest heavily in a connection strategy on LinkedIn to make sure that your potential buyers are actually connected to you 
So they actually see the content that you're posting. A lot of people skip over this and they'll put out really great content, but their buyers aren't seeing it. Other people within the their community are seeing it. They could be getting a lot of engagement, but if your potential buyers aren't seeing it, then it's missing the mark of what you're trying to do. And so whether you're using a tool like Sales Navigator or just connecting with people organically through the platform, you need to have a strategy and a consistent daily effort to send and accept connection requests um, to your potential buyers. Um, so it's creating that great content that really resonates. It's making sure that the right people are seeing that content. And then it's consistency and time. Okay. It takes time to drive revenue through organic LinkedIn posting. I would say, you know, that it probably takes four to six months of consistent posting. Doesn't have to be every single day um, and building your following and your connections in order to create a reliable stream of inbound interest coming to your company. So I'd say, yeah, I think great content, making sure you have the right connections and then the consistency are the top three. That's beautiful because it's exactly like two core things of one accelerator program I'm doing is like proactively build your network with your ICP and serve problem-centric content to this network. But the problem I found for me is like, often people are saying, hey, Thibault, your content is amazing, blah, blah, blah. But how do you make money? Like they say, you never pitch. Like we don't know what, what you like, like how, how can we buy stuff? And so my question, you know, often it's mm -hmm. like, I found that I'm, I'm, I went into this other direction where I just give so much content but I'm never asking for money for, for something in exchange. So you have any, any tip on that or? Yeah. So the way I think about this is your profile, your LinkedIn profile should do the selling and your content should be valuable. And I think people do not take advantage of all of the areas of your LinkedIn profile to really clearly communicate what your company does. So you have the big banner at the top. You can use a tool like Canva to customize that. That's like your billboard, right? Mm -hmm. You should have very clearly what your company name is, what you do, your company website, um, as much you know, in other information there that you might have on your actual website homepage. Your headline is really critical real estate. Um, it should talk more about what you do and the value you provide and not just your title. Mm -hmm. um, your about us section should not be about your career history, but should be about what your company does and, and what it offers and how, and how that provides. Um, think about your recommendations and get current and former customers to provide you recommendations. Think about your featured section and include relevant content or resources so people can learn and find out more about your company. So I think number one would be really invest and make sure that your profile is clearly selling what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And because if you're putting out a ton of content and getting a lot of engagement, people will end up on your profile and mm -hmm. people will see that. And then I think the second piece is um, I'm a huge believer in, you know, uh, giving more than you take. Yeah. But I, um, I do believe that it is completely reasonable um, if you're posting valuable content regularly to have occasional posts that are more direct about the service that you provide or the, the product that you offer mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, leaning maybe a little bit more on the salesy side of things. And so as long as you don't overdo that, I think that that is totally fine. Um, but most people do not optimize their profile for yeah. selling. So that would be my core recommendation. Okay, good. That's, that's really, 
it's it's just marketing 101 actually it makes so much sense you know you attract with content and you convert with your landing page which is uh, your linkedin profile basically exactly so it's uh, <laughs> so cool <laughs> a lot of people don't do it though it's it's nothing yeah. is yeah the nothing is that complicated it's the simple stuff but it's doing the simple stuff really well and yeah. for some reason a lot of people don't do that yeah that's why we're in business <laughs> <laughs> so uh we have um other question here so how do you identify upsell opportunities in customer success oh, that's a great question so um I'll kind of start again with what I said for the testimonial question. I think you always need to make sure that your customer is happy and receiving valuable business outcomes with whatever current product or service that they're using before you consider any type of upsell. Um, so you need to start at that baseline. Again, a lot of people will attempt to upsell things um, too early when the customer is not ready, and that is never a good idea. So always make sure that you're only considering um, targeting customers for upsell when they're um, happy and receiving value. Now that said, depending upon your business, there could be interesting data points that can help surface which customers make sense to reach out to, if, especially if you have a lot, a lot of customers, you might think, where do I even begin? And so um, it depends, this is highly business dependent, but all of the different companies that I've been at, there have been different indicators um, that have existed um, where you can sort of create a subset of your customer list as a potential um, uh, for customers that may be ready for some type of upsell. Um, so to you know, give you an example, when I was working at um, Grubhub Seamless and we were working with companies that were feeding their employees, um, you know, it's very common that um, like, for example, uh, an accounting and consulting firm is going to be extra busy during tax season because mm -hmm. their teams are working around the clock, they're working late, and um, that company might be using you for some ad hoc ordering, but you know because of their industry that there'll be periods of time that they're going to potentially you know, need more food, for example. Um, so whether that's like the industry or the type of business, um, that's one way that could surface it. Another is um, a company that is growing. So typically, um, especially for SaaS products where there's you know, user licenses or things like that, let's say the company raises money or has some other milestone, growth milestone, that often means that they're going to continue to invest um, in hiring. Um, and so, you know, those types of company milestones can often indicate that that something's happening. Um, and then, um, and th and then this gets very business dependent. So this will begin to be a little bit more vague, but different product utilization metrics um, so depending on the company I've been at, um, you've been able to see, like, if someone is not really using your product, they're probably not a good target for upsell and you need mm -hmm. to focus first on adoption. If you have a, a customer that's using the product significantly on a regular basis, that's showing that they're getting a ton of value and there's a possibility that they might be ready to, to take things to the next level and purchase an additional module product or service. Um, so again, that will vary, but like really analyzing product usage and identifying people that you need to focus on for adoption and, and your power users and, and reaching out to them. Okay. Um, additionally, surveying. And so, um, you know, I've done a lot of surveying where, again, depending upon the business, you can use the survey to um, ask questions 
um, about whether a customer might have a particular pain point that a different product or service of yours could serve um, and use that as a data collection point um, to then reach out and initiate a conversation. Um, that said, I would say the old fashioned way of just being really connected to your customer, understanding their business goals, how their business makes money, what's important to that person mm -hmm. is honestly the best way. Cause if you're really connected with them, you're going to know when there's an opportunity to upsell or not. But the tactics that I had described previously is a way to think about doing it a little bit more uh, systemically instead yeah. of uh, customer by customer. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice triggers. Yeah. For me, upsell is, uh, is one of the things I'm the, the least good at <laughs> because I really love hunting. I don't know why, but like, that's my thing. Yeah. And uh, I'm always like, what's it sign? I'm like, uh, I feel like a bit ashamed. You're like, they signed, let's hope they forgot about it, you know, and then we can move on to the next contract. And, and I don't know why it's just like, maybe my education, I'm French, maybe that's why, but I'm not a huge fan of, I mean, I would love to do more upsells, but I, I always find find it hard to go and say, hey, can you give me more money? Because I feel like <laughs> they already gave me some. And so I think it's uh, it's good to have these kind of really nice triggers. And in the end, if you make them more money, they will give you more money. So that's the, that's the thing. Yeah, look for the win-win, the mutually yeah. beneficial. Yeah, exactly. So um, we have like another eight minutes going. Of, you know, so let me check. Any question you want to answer in the ones there? So we have like... Um, <laughs> stuff about campaign we talked about that already uh there's one actually i think i like is you have often get hundreds of likes or on your posts what's your secret <laughs> on linkedin yeah um so um when i first started posting i did not get a lot of likes i started posting in the beginning of 2019 and i started posting weekly and then over the course started posting a few times a week and now i try to post every day um, but some days I don't, I didn't post today. I wasn't inspired. So I didn't put any content out because I didn't have anything I felt really good about. Um, but usually most days I'll post, you know, uh, five to six, seven days a week uh, these days. And so I think it's consistency. I think the one thing that um, people often don't realize is your, your day to day is chock full of interesting moments and experiences that you can um, get inspiration of for content. Most of my content is literally about things that have happened, um, you know, the day before or the days preceding um, when I'm actually posting it. And so I find that that's really relevant because I've just experienced something or tried something and I'm writing my experience down. Um, but I will say the consistency and the practice, it, it's a muscle that you need to build and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, and I think being, you know, sometimes people can get discouraged if they start posting a few things and then don't get a ton of engagement, they might give up too early, but every single person on LinkedIn that has a lot of likes or followers, everyone started in the same position and everybody had a period of time where they were building up into getting that. Um, mm -hmm. but that said, I try to, um, have like my approach on LinkedIn is to be, um, very real and authentic. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not afraid to share mistakes that I make. Um, so it's not about, you know, me being the best. It's about, you know, can I, I learned something from this and maybe someone else can benefit from this learning. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big believer in posting really actionable tips and takeaways. Um, and I think that, um, that type of content does well 
when people feel like they, oh, I could try this today. I could try that tomorrow. That's interesting to me. Um, and definitely mixing it up with video and text um, is it helps. You mentioned this yeah. at the beginning. Um, people do enjoy video. It kind of makes you more human um, yeah. uh, coming through on the platform. So those are a few things to, to consider. But honestly, anybody can do it if you just stick with it and stay consistent. Yeah. yeah. I really, yeah, it's 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 true. Like giving this uh, valuable content, and uh, I think you're really doing it really well. And also, sometimes people say, okay, for me, it's been a while I didn't put a video because often the the engagement, the reach is way lower. But I think um, diversifying your 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 the type of content you're posting out there is good because the algorithm changes all the time. And what what is going to make you successful in the end is not the algorithm or it changes. It's consistent, great content. Yeah. And so um, one thing also is, is uh, I've listened to, I think it was not the last one, but the one from beginning of October, where on oh, no, the last uh, Dimension uh, uh, Q&A you did, and Chris was saying, okay, seems like the, the algorithm, the, the, the reach is down. Actually, every month, everyone's complaining that it's, it's down. <laughs> and, um, and so the thing is now it's kind of more in favor of new newcomers, which makes so much sense because LinkedIn wants yeah. more people to create content. So they stay and they serve more ads. So they, 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 they give like kind of incentives to newcomers and people who have been added for a while, they see kind of sometimes a reduced reach. And I think like going through this, um, how do you call that? The, the, you know, going through this phase where you were really going like crazy and then it's going down. That's when you see if people will stay or not. And for me, I've been, I've been committed. I say, okay, I'm going to post every single day of the week for 2020, no exception. No matter the time zone where I am on hunt, I'm every day. <laughs> now you see sometimes it goes like crazy, but often you just see the numbers that keep going up and up and up and your baseline is always, is always more. Yep. I think it's really, it's really this consistency, this, this exercise, just like meditating every morning would be something similar where you post content if you can every day, but at least uh, have a, a, a developed an habit around that basically. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as I said, I think the next like, 12 to 36 months on LinkedIn is um, sort of the the most opportunistic window. People that people that haven't started yet that start today um, will see a benefit if they commit to it. Yeah, exactly. Good. So I think we have three more minutes. So I just wanted to uh, open up to uh, you know if there's anything you want to say, a pitch or whatever, and you know let 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 people know where they can get more of you, basically. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I uh, really enjoyed the conversation today. I thought it was great questions. Thanks to everyone that is live on the session right now. Um, you know, I think I, t I already talked about the company and, and what we're doing. Um, I'm the only social platform I'm on is actually LinkedIn. I've never had a Facebook or Twitter or Instagram account. So that's where you can find me. Um, you can find out more about our, uh, about our company at refinelabs.com. And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's all I got. Okay, so I'll put the, the link to your LinkedIn profile and Refine Labs in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming, Megan. That was really insightful. And for me, I'm going to go and listen to your State of Demand Gen podcast. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good. No, it was great. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And uh, I hope you have a great rest of the week. Yeah, have a good day. Thank you. Care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear, you can actually go for a small gift on my website. It's www.saleslabs.io slash ULOS. I repeat, www.saleslabs.io slash ULOS. It's my ultimate LinkedIn outreach sequence. You'll be able to download it, directly use it, 
and you'll be signed up for the newsletter and every Thursday you'll receive the latest episode.